Good morning, Calvary Chapel. Good morning. <laughs> wow, that was great. <laughs> Good job. Hey, we're doing our teaching today in uh, a multitude of, of verses and focusing on how Christmas began and how we progress through, this, through the scriptures, through the birth of Christ. And we're in a point here where events culminating in the birth of Christ. And I will start out with these verses, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. But these are only, this is only one verse out of a plethora of verses. So any, any, I'm just thankful to be able to teach the word. And I'm thankful that it's Christmas season. And I'm thankful that you guys are here. And we celebrate Jesus as the reason for the... Got it right. So if you stand, read the word of God with me. Matthew chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Now listen to these wonderful names of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is God incarnate. He is deity, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it, establish it with judgment and justice. And I bet you we can't all wait for that one. Justice and judgment, right world to live in. From that time forward, even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is the word of God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time to study it. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears. Take the, the veneer off of our hearts, Lord. Make our hearts soft, and may we receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, these are common verses heard by most of us every Christmas season. Unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. This event occurred 750 years before Messiah was born. And it was telling us that a child was born, a son is given. The giving God gave his son. He was birthed, not actually on December the 25th, but we celebrate his birth on that day. Our journey starts all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is the first indicator of a Redeemer coming into the world. These words are spoken immediately after the fall. Jesus, God has dealt with Adam. He's dealt with Eve. And now he's speaking these words to Satan. And he says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his feet, Satan. The time was 4,000 years B.C. or greater. The message, the message, the place, the Garden of Eden. And I want to suggest to you, Jesus believed in an actual Adam, in an actual Eve, and we can extrapolate from that, an actual garden, an actual Garden of Eden. The message that he gave was in Genesis 3.15. Again, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What does this mean? If you do a cursory read for that, you're going to be wondering, what in the world does all that mean? 
you study it, you'll know this. God says, I will put enmity, I will put hostility, I will put hatred between you and the woman. Between your seed, Satan followers, and earth dwellers, and her seed, Jesus and his followers. Thus, the worldwide hatred, I think, of both Jews and Christians. Our world is percolating to hate Christians. It's happening more and more. There is more persecution happening in this world to Christians than at any time in the history of the world. And actually, all the time before this, up until this century, more have died in this last century for Christ than all the ones before. That's an amazing statistic. He, Messiah, shall bruise your head. That'll be a death blow to Satan. And you, Satan, you'll have your time. You'll have your, the light will shine on you for just a moment, Satan, as you usurp authority and are instrumental in the death of Christ. You shall bruise his heel, cause Jesus to suffer. This has a word for it in theology. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. And the Proto-Evangelium will come up on your screen and we'll see this. Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium. The meaning of the word proto is first. Evangelium is gospel. The nature of the Proto-Evangelium, God is the initiator of the enmity between the two seeds. The reference appears to speak of Christ's victory over Satan at the cross. At the cross, Satan would cause Christ to suffer, bruise his heel. Satan would deal a death blow. Satan would be dealt a death blow, crushed his head. A Messiah will crush his head at the cross. He's all jolly. He's all happy. He's all thinking that he's victorious. But he is the loser at the cross. That thing we must remember. Now, listen to this. This speaks to me a lot at the cross of Christ being the victor over Satan, sin, and death. That's what happened at the cross. The proto-evangelium is this. Jesus is our Savior. Evangelium is the gospel. The gospel message is to go out to the whole world. And again, I love this aspect. You are all salt. You are all light. You are all servants of the Most High God. And we are not to let that be hidden in any, any way, shape, or form. People you come in contact with, give them your light and give them your salt. That's most important. Jesus enters space, our space-time continuum, and guess what? He did it for us. He did it for us. John 3, 16 and 17 was for us. Us. Listen to this. Unto us, oh, excuse me, unto us a child was born. I got that embedded in my brain. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Get that. That's important. He came as a savior. The condemnation will come at the end for those who reject him. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world might, through him might be saved. And if you remember uh, Romans chapter 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All of the condemnation that we would receive are placed on Jesus the moment we believe and put our trust in him as our Savior. The most You were born for a relationship with Jesus Christ. You were born here to just have a good time, 
You weren't born here for your career. You were born here to know him, to serve him in whatever place he has placed you. Wherever he's put you, we're to represent him in the culture that we're living in. Don't shy away. God so loved the world. And I want to make a repeat of this. I think it's so important from last week's teaching. Hear this. Our culture has changed what real love is. It's changed it to a self-centered love. Let me do what I want, love. Agape is sacrificial love. Benevolent love. An act of the will. We love someone unconditionally. Not because they're acting a certain way. Agape love is unconditional. That's important to know. But listen to this. Agape love is not shown. I think this is really important for each, each one of us to get. Agape love is not shown by giving a person what they want, but giving them what they need. Now, we repeated this over and over. This is a very important concept. God loves us agape. He keeps loving us. But he does not, God does not agape us and say, keep loving, keep loving, keep doing your sin. God says no to this. What, remember, God is doing what is best for us. Now, this gets extended into our culture. How does our world view love? And it, it, it's unequivocal. Agree with me. Support my sin habit. If you love me, you would embrace my life choices. And then we went through the litany of things. Homosexuality is not a sin. God says yes. A woman's right to choose to kill her baby is not a sin. That's what the culture says. They want you to buy it. They have over and over and over inculcated, teaching by repetition, this, this concept of it's okay to kill your baby because it's all about the mom's wishes and desires. Uh, how about this one? Destroying property. Our culture ignores that now. Flash mobs. Flash mobs just penetrate stores and steal with impunity and are let go by prosecutors. The frustration of the police must be off the charts. Off the charts. How about premarital sex? Adultery. How about this one that I think has really permeated the church and it's very unfortunate. People living together, Christian, before marriage. How about people embracing witchcraft? Witchcraft and saying it's just fun. I'm just having fun. And God says no. God says no. And multiple other sins you can think of. Hey, what do the world, world dwellers think of you? What do you how, do, how do they view us? How do they view Christians that speak the truth to them? Well, you are, you know these words from last week, and you know these words because you've lived in this culture long enough. You are intolerant. You are a hater. You are a bigot. You are ignorant. You are unloving. And by the way, you are dangerous and you should be sequestered from the culture, pushed away out of, out of the mainstream. Hate speech. You should be banned for the hate speech. I mean, that's just an amazing thing to me. Now, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about something. God's word and, and values have become hate speech for many now, Michael Brown says this. Jesus taught us not affirmational change or agreeing with 
someone in their lifestyle change, but transformational change. Repent and follow Jesus is the message. Be transformed in the renewing of your mind. That's actually a sanctification verse. But in the process and justification, when you, that moment you say yes to Jesus and you believe in Jesus, that process starts. Your new thinking starts. You have the Holy Spirit that, was in, that is within you. But the transformation really occurs in the sanctification portion of salvation. Remember, there's three phases. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. And by the way, I'm looking forward to glorification. You know? You know why? Because that's the first time in your life that you're going to be perfect. First time. Actually, it's the only time. Glorification, a state of perfection. That's the third phase. That's the third phase. But this new def definition of love is not new and has grown more and more in this depraved America. Folks, it is not loving, and I might say hate speech for us if we do not tell people the truth. We have to tell them the truth. So many affirm sinful lifestyles and, and tell people they love, oh, that's okay. It's okay to live your life the way that you want, though it's contrary to God's word. It's okay to do that. Pat them on the head. Pat them on the back as they go to hell. We are, if we do that, we are complicit, guilty in that person's life. We are to speak the truth no matter how uncomfortable it is in our families, how uncomfortable it is at our work. We are to do it with a loving spirit, not a condemning spirit. But we are to speak the truth that, if possible, just tear them away from hell. Tear them away from the lakes of fire lake of fire. We are complicit. Living in opposition to God will result in an eternity of living separate from God, our own, the only source of real love in the universe. It's not a matter of what you believe to be true, but if, if you believe something that is contrary to, be, contrary to God, contrary to this word, then it is false, and it must be exposed, and we must tell them. If we do not tell them how will they know? How will they possibly know? Now let's go to Isaiah chapter 7, 14. It's, the, it's an act of love. This is the prophecy of the virgin birth. It says this. And this, is a, this is a prophecy that came true, as you know. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, the virgin will, be, will, will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, you know what Emmanuel means because you have been taught what Emmanuel means. Now, I'm going to say the word and then you say after me, Emmanuel, God with us. That was good. That was good. That was very good. Now, I want you to think about something. This, is, this context comes when a king, Ahaz, is king. He's an awful king. He's a nasty king. Second Chronicles 28, 1 through 4 tell us this. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what is right in the sight of the Lord, his Lord as the father David had done. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made molded images of the Baals. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom. And it culminated in this. He burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations 
whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, idolatry worship, on the hills and under every green tree. This guy was bad to the bone. And if I could say it right with my voice, bad, bad to the bone. Yeah, I mean, he was bad. God says to Isaiah this, go tell Ahaz there will be a no, attack, no attack from Syria. Now, God was going to spare him from the Syrian attack. And, and, and listen to Ahaz's impudence. Or listen, well, first of all, God's, God speaks in Isaiah 7, 9. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Your, your kingdom will not be established. God asked Ahaz a second time. Listen to this. Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask for any sign you want to know that this is true. And Ahaz, in his impudence, says this in verse 12, I will not ask. You talk about a hardened heart. Evil Ahaz was, would not ask for a sign. So what God does, he says this, God himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear, bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Remember this. This is important to know. All world religions and all cults are born into the kingdom, are, are representing the kingdom of darkness. They are separated from God. They do not believe in the deity of Christ. If you do not believe that Jesus is God, the only true God, you will be lost and end up in a lake of fire forever, the hell forever. That's tragic. That's absolutely tragic. Only believers in Messiah will inherit the kingdom of God. We've said that, said that many times. It's amazing to me that so many do not believe in the virgin birth. Impossible. Never happened before. They don't believe in the virgin birth. Uh, this, this is something that is so far out there, I just can't believe it. To the natural man, they just can't process it. How do we respond to this? You believe in the virgin birth? I can't imagine that you would believe in the virgin birth. That's impossible. It can't happen. You know what you say to them? You say these words. It's a miracle. God is a God of miracles. This is a miracle. A one-off in history of the world. There had, and you know, that, you know what? The virgin birth is essential. There had to be a virgin birth. There was no option. When sin entered the world, Death was passed to all because all have sinned. Romans 5.12 is so clear. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and death passed upon all men because all have sinned. We all have the sin curse. Everyone born into this world is in the, born into the kingdom of darkness and must be forcefully extracted out of that kingdom by believing in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is an absolute essential. Only a sinless sacrifice one like Adam could save the world. There are no humans that were sinless after Adam, except the, the God-man, Jesus Christ. No humans could substitute for Adam. Nobody could do this. Someone from the Godhead had, had to do this. Jesus came to earth as the God-man. And remember this, the substitutionary atonement. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He paid the price for my sins. All the wrath of God was poured on him that I deserved. We 
have such great benefits by believing and receiving the gift of salvation. I believe that you died for me, Jesus. I believe that you rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And I believe that you're coming soon for your church, for your bride. Folks, that's called the rapture. We've talked about it many times. Only a perfect person. Jesus sacrificed himself in our place to save us from our sin curse. There had to be a virgin birth. There was no other way. Our introductory, our introductory Isaiah scripture was 6-9. The giving God gave his only begotten son. And I want you to remember this. Jesus is the indescribable, most fantastic gift that you will ever get. He is the reason for the season. He is the purpose for your life. He is an amazing God. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The giving God gave his son. And the government will be upon his shoulders. In his name. Now watch who this person who was born in the manger is. Isaiah describes him perfectly. I don't know how anybody could miss this. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Listen to this. When Jesus establishes his government, no more Gentile governments. When he comes here to reign, that's a forever reigning. Thousand years in the Millennial Kingdom, which will extend into eternity. Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom there will be nobody coming to usurp authority from him. There will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it. Oh, folks, God is a God of order. When you see disorder, when you see massive chaos, that is not God. That is the evil one. That is the God of this world, the ruler of this age, as Jesus called him at least two times. That's him at work, causing the mess. From that time forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. There's a psalm that says this. Who is this child? Who is this son of glory? He's the king of glory. He's strong and mighty. He's Jesus Messiah. He's God's indescribable gift. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. No end forever. Now listen to this. We have a picture here of God's indescribable gift coming up. Unless it's already there. Okay, there. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The child born in the manger was Jesus Christ. The son that was given is God himself. God, the second person of the Trinity, condescended to become one of us. To be a mere human. He is forever the God-man. He's a different state forever. Why did he do this? He did it for us. Us. The, indescri the indescribable gift was for us. The salvation gift that he gave his entire life for was for us. Every human ever birthed on this earth. The gift was for you. Salvation, folks, is a gift. Remember that. Never forget it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, by grace you have 
been saved through faith, not of yourselves, as a gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. Salvation is the greatest gift we will ever be given. Nothing will match it. The one in the cradle, the one in the stall, is the God of heaven who chose to come here and die for us. That's who's in that stall. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government peace, there will be no end. When he establishes his government, that's it. Notice this. Jesus' government is a government of peace. A government of peace would come. And it would not come until the Prince of Peace came. There's a specific time when it has started. What does this mean that his government will, will not end? Listen to this. You, you've seen this picture so many times. And I think that you're familiar with it. But remember this. There were four kingdoms that Daniel uh, interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar. The gold, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the, the silver, Cyrus, the king, Medo-Persia, Greece, Alexander the Great, the, the, the copper, Rome, a two-leg division. There's an east division today and a west division today as Rome was separated. Rome would be evil. Rome would be nasty. It, has, it comes with its evil teeth ready to devour. And then there's going to be another kingdom that establishes in our lifetime. And it's going to be the ten-nation confederation, which are the toes, the toes on the statue. They, this toes, this is Antichrist's kingdom, will be, be destroyed by a rock says in Daniel 2, 44 and 45, the stone that breaks the statue into pieces as Messiah comes, decimates this kingdom, and then Jesus rules forever and ever. That's what's going to happen. You've seen that many times projected. When Jesus sets up this kingdom, folks, that is the final kingdom. Recall, all world kingdoms are ruled by Jesus. We mentioned, or excuse me, well, they are actually, will one day be ruled by Jesus, but they're ruled by Satan today. Again, he's called the God of this world. Jesus' kingdom is a forever kingdom for those who deny that Jesus is God. These, these are blown away verses to tell us who he is. Now listen to, has, to, to whom has no problem with believing that Jesus is God. All the angelic realm believe Jesus is God. All the demonic realm believe Jesus is God. And I'm hoping that you today believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. That is very important. The baby born of a virgin is the Lord God Almighty. Almighty, it's Jesus Christ himself. Lord God Almighty. Now we're going to transfer forward a few centuries and we're going to pick up the story with Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, 11 through 17. Now I'm not going to read this for time, but I'm going to excerpt out of this some important scripture. At the perfect time, the angel Gabriel told Zechariah, Elizabeth will have a son. Now remember this. This is an impossible, another impossible thing, another miracle. This couple is too old for kids. 
Now, can you imagine Zechariah, you know, skipping home, the angel is walking to talk to me, and she gives this message to Elizabeth, hey, we're going to have a kid, we're going to have a kid, and, and she must think, oh, really, oh, really. But Zacharias doubted, remember? He couldn't speak after that. So whatever he did, he had to write it on paper. This is what's going to happen to us. This is going to go, because he doubted. That's an interesting part of it. Uh, you shall call his name John. John means the grace of God. Now, I want you to think about the uniqueness of John. You don't have this in your notes, okay? It's a list. He was first Jesus' cousin. Six months older than Jesus. He would be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. Filled, he had a mission, a calling from birth. He would be the forerunner. No questions were to be asked. He was the forerunner preparing the world for the Messiah. The hearts of the people were far from God. If you remember, there was no prophet between Malachi and Matthew. 400 years no one to speak on behalf of God. And then enters John, the last of the Old Testament prophets. The last. It says the last. In Luke 16, 16, the law and the prophets were until John. That's it. When John came, that's the last of that whole thing. Zechariah and Elizabeth were old in years and gave birth to John. And this, folks, is another impossible miracle of the Christmas story. Notice what John did. John did his job perfectly. John represented Jesus to the culture that he lived in. Many he turned to Christ, turned in the direction of Christ, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He would have a, a message of repentance. God's timetable was in full motion. But listen to this. He was beheaded by Herod the king. When his time was done, when he finished his mission, then he went out of this world into his heavenly world. That is the same for each of us. Folks, we all have a time. We all have a mission. And when our mission is done, Christ calls us home. We don't know when that is. So be all out for him while you can. While you can. This is your time. This is your opportunity to be your greatest for his glory. Don't squander it. Don't waste time. I think we're very close to the end, as we've spoken about multiple times. This is not time to fritter away time. This is time to be all in with God, all in with Jesus, telling everyone you know the love of Jesus, and that Jesus loves them and wants them to be in their family. The announcement was given to Mary next, in Luke 1, 26 through 38. Gabriel reveals God's plan to Mary. Now, she's 14 to 17 years old. Some say 13, some say 12. But it is very young when she gets this message. A virgin. Now, listen, it goes like this. Mary must have thought, now, you have somebody come to your house and tell your virgin daughter these words. Uh, she must have been thought, why me? Why now? How will anyone believe this? How can this be, she responds, since I do not know a man. I do not know a man in Luke 1.34. Gabriel, the messenger angel, says this, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Now, let's just say that together. With God, nothing will be impossible. 
Absolutely. Jeremiah tags on to this a little bit. It's, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too, too difficult for me? Any, is there anything in your life too difficult for God? God can change any situation, any relationship, any illness or sickness. Now, Mary's response is precious. Watch what she says. There's no arguing. I can't do this. It shouldn't be me. I, I, well, it's going to happen to her anyway, but, uh, but let it be according to your word. Now, there's somebody else that has to buy into this story, and that is Joseph in Matthew 1, 18 through 25. At the perfect time, Joseph is led in on the plan. Joseph found out that Mary, his beloved, was with child. Now, what would you think? Uh, Joseph, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. That's a one-time thing. That's a blow-away message. Joseph wanted to put her away silently. Wanted to put her away. Not make her a public example. In Matthew 1.20, it says this, Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph obeyed, and he, you know what happened to him? He went on to conceive six other children, at least six. Four boys, two girls. The list, the list is this. Brothers, James, who wrote the book of James. Joseph, Simon, and Judas, who the scripture now gives the name Jude, wrote a book, and his sisters. That's at least two. It could have been more. could have been more. I'm telling you, Jesus came in a spectacular way. The first time he came, it was a spectacular way. When he comes the second time, that will be a spectacular way. He will come in the clouds. He will come in the clouds of glory. Every eye will see him. The Jewish people will recognize whom they have pierced. And the earth dwellers who have been making war against Jesus have to be biting their nails as they're fighting this celestial being coming down to the earth to take over planet earth. He deals with the Antichrist. He deals with the false prophet. They're thrown into the lake of fire. He throws Satan into the pit for a thousand years. Satan instigates a little bit of rebellion. Poof, he is put into the lake of fire forever. God victorious. God victorious. Now listen to this. Jesus came in a, in a, in a spectacular way, but he also came at the perfect time. There was a perfect time for Messiah to come. In the fullness of time, when the, when the fullness of time had indeed come, Galatians 4, 4 and 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God had sent his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. He came to save us, folks. He came to save us. The perfect time was this. There was a road system that permeated all of Rome, all of the empire, which facilitated evil travel, e easy travel. There was, there was also something called the Pax Romana, 
the Pax Romana, which guaranteed safety on the Roman roads as the message was being given to the world about Messiah. Perfect time. The, the, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And then the Koine Greek from Alexander the Great's kingdom spread throughout the whole world. And now there was a common language. He came at the perfect time, the indescribable gift. God has this all orchestrated, came at the perfect time. At the second coming, it'll be the perfect time. Perfect time. It's giving us a heads up on that all the time. <laughs> Closing thoughts. I can think of this. What a story. What a God. What a Savior. I mean, it's the most amazing story ever told. I mean, there's so much evidence that it's true that you can't deny it, but if you're, if you're a God denier, you're going to deny most of this. What a story. What a God. What a Savior. The life of Jesus in full is full of drama and mystery. Drama and mystery. This one solitary life impacted the world like none other. Remember, we read that poem last time. The main participants of this drama, straight out, God. Gabriel, Zacharias, John the Baptist, Mary, Joseph, in order, Jesus. Jesus is actually the main, the main subject in this. Whether you know it or not, you are participants also. How so? Jesus was born of a virgin, and he did it for us. He did it for each one of us. It wasn't so comfortable for him to come here, to be rejected by his family, rejected by any friends he may have had, ultimately rejected by the Jewish people, ultimately to die on a cross, brutally beaten for our sins. Born of a virgin. Jesus lived a perfect life, fulfilled all the requirements of the law, which, by the way, are imputed to you. His righteousness is imputed to you. You are a perfect person in the sight of God because of Jesus. He did it for us. Jesus was rejected by his culture and his family. He had an awful death. Jesus rose from the dead. Now, this is like hip, hip, hooray. This is like victorious. Jesus is victor over Satan. His sacrifice was accepted by God. Now, please hear this. The atonement, the propitiation, which is an acceptable sacrifice by God, assuaging the wrath of God on people who believe. God poured out all of his wrath in, in Jesus. I mentioned this several times, but it's so germane to, this, to the birth of Christ. You who believe will never, ever experience the wrath of God. And again, for a second time, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's like a cheering verse. Thank you, Lord. It's been nearly 2,000 years, and we're waiting for the return of our Savior to, to make believers, to take believers to Father's house, the rapture of the church. Then return to earth and establish his kingdom. And guess what? You are going to be joint heirs with Christ, reigning in this kingdom. Joint heirs with Christ. Can you imagine that? Joint heirs with Christ as we reign with him, under him for sure, in his kingdom. That's going to be a glorious day. You'll be, you will have ruling authority based on your faithfulness to Christ. 
Remember when that happens? We have something called the Bema Seat Judgment. The first thing after the rapture, Bema Seat Judgment. And then the marriage ceremony. Bema Seat Judgment is where you receive rewards or loss of rewards on your faithfulness to Christ while you were here. Did you make up things on your own while you were here about Christ so you could live the life that you wanted to? Did you, did you take your eyes off of Christ and veer to the right or to the left because it was more comfortable? And then hopefully at some point the Spirit says, oh, this is not the way, walk in it. Walk in it as he convicts you of your sin. That's an important thing that we have to think about. It will not, be, now think about this. I've talked to people that said, well, I don't want to rule. I'm kind of a behind-the-scenes person. <laughs> I don't want to be standing out there. But listen to this. You will not be ruling in your present state. You're going to be ruling in your glorified state. You're going to have all knowledge. You're not going to have any inhibitions whatsoever to share that knowledge that God has given you to the world around you. You'll be ruling in different places, some in cities, some in kingdoms that are established, some in little towns, some in little burgs, some in some store someplace. You'll be ruling. It kind of, it's going to be depending upon what you've done for Christ. It won't be in your glorified state. It will be in your glorified state, not as you are now. Excuse me. It all started in eternity past with a plan, the virgin birth, and will end with Christ's return to this world. That's where it'll end. Thy kingdom come. We can say this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, will be fulfilled. And might I say to you, we cannot deny how our world is changing in preparation for the return of our king. We've gone over many, many things as our world is heading towards globalism. This is accelerating, folks. I believe with all of my heart that we're living in the time when Jesus will come. It is, it is just going too many things happening at too rapid a pace, heading for a one-world kingdom that, of course, won't, won't work. This Christmas season, this Christmas season, may we have a spirit of Maranatha like never before. Like never before. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, come and rescue us from this mess. Come to rescue us from sickness and sin and death. Come to rescue us from all the chaos that is in the world. Oh, Maranatha, even so, come, Lord Jesus. We look forward to you coming. Folks, unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And let me just add this before we put up the, the Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 verse. I think there's never been a time in the church before like we need to encourage one another even more as we see the end coming. We, we must do this as we see the day coming, Hebrews 10, 25. We're going to need the encouragement of one another We're going to, to keep on going in the journey to not be sucked up in the lies because the lies are going to come and they're going to come full force and they're going to be very, very uh, believable. Don't believe in the lies. Anything contrary to this word, any lifestyle contrary to this word, anything that you do in this life that is contrary to this word, that is sin. 
don't buy in to the lies that we are being indoctrinated with on a regular basis. Please do not do that. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is giving. And I want to read this one more time. The amazement of Isaiah chapter 9, 6, and 7. Indelibly implanted into our brains. For unto us a child is born. Yes. For unto us a son is given. Yes. And the government will be upon his shoulders. Yes. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's the one that was born into this world, and he's the one that's coming for us. What a day that will be. All, all I can say is all hail the baby in the manger. The Savior of the world has come for us. That's what we put our focus on this Christmas season. Merry Christmas to you all, guys. Merry Christmas to you all. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks for this time to study your word. Thank you for this time to be able to give your word. And now, Lord, I ask that you touch the hearts and minds of people in this room today. At some point, you have spoken to each one of us. And Lord, I pray with all of my heart that we will just not be hearers, but doers. That we remember that Jesus Christ died for us. Remember, if we put our faith in him, our trust in him, we will live eternally with him. Salvation is an eternal gift that is given by God. Oh, Lord, help us to be thankful people. This Christmas season, may all eyes be on Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son. And thank you, Jesus, for, be, for willing to be, come to this earth, to become one of us. That's an astounding thing. Forever you are the God-man. That's a change in your form, in your essence. You're still God, but you are one of us, man also. Thank you for the Christmas story. In Jesus' name, amen.